we're in. I don't know what what episode this is now. Um, there's a thing where I'm trying to get to 21 episodes because like 98% of podcasts don't get past that number and I'm on like 13 or 12. Getting there. Getting there. <laughs> but it's been a while since the last one. Um, so you are working, correct me if I'm wrong, at Clove Club? Yes, the Clove Club. The Clove Club, which is a two Michelin star restaurant. Yes, yeah. and Shore Dutch in London. And we're living in Shoreditch, so quite convenient for you because yesterday you came off a 19 hour shift. Yeah, I was, that's the longest shift I've ever had in my life. It was, uh, yeah, I could barely stand by the end of it. <laughs> so you're a chef de party in this restaurant, which is a line chef? Yes, essentially you're, you're responsible for running a section. Um, and I was going to say, what section is that? So there are multiple sections in a restaurant mm. and kind of fancier and fine dining restaurants. You have snacks, which is like the amuse-bouche, but some restaurants don't like to call it an amuse-bouche. Mm. So that's uh, the few snacks that you get before you start your tasting menu. You have the pastry section, the colds section, which will be the first couple of courses, and then the fish section and the meat section. So currently I'm on the cold section, also known as the larder section. So I'm responsible for about six dishes in total uh, for the regular menu and the vegetarian and vegan menu. Uh, as That's well. quite a lot. I, I thought you were just doing one thing over and over again. No, no. Um, especially in fine dining restaurants, the menu changes all the time, you know, depending on what you can get, what the suppliers have, what's seasonal as well. And wow. Just on, oh, it depends on the head chef as well, the executive chef. I thought in a Michelin star restaurant, the way they keep the quality really high, I mean, I'm clearly wrong. Consistency. Yeah, but I thought it was just one person does one thing all day long. No, it's, it's more consistency with technique, I would say. Yeah, that's it, not, not consistency with dishes. Because mm. um, I think if you do an eight-course tasting menu and it's been the same for two years, who's going to come back, you know, if they've had that experience already? Mm. So it's, it's actually really important to continue innovating, continue changing. So how, how does it work? If I go to the restaurant, I'm paying for an experience where it's just a bunch of dishes yeah. or I can't pick and choose what I want. Yeah, yes and no. Um, if you have dietary requirements, for example, if you're a celiac, if you're gluten-free, then we'll change specific dishes or we'll have an entirely different dish for that dietary requirement. Um, yeah, it depends. You get people that are there for the experience and they love it, they want everything you've got. And then you do get people who are maybe a bit more used to fine dining, who like to be a bit fussier. So they maybe try to skip a course or change a course. Mm. Um, From memory, I think you said 190 or 200 pounds? 195 for the tasting menu we offer at the moment. For the, the long tasting menu, which I believe is about eight courses. But that includes like your snacks and your petty fours as well. And then we also do a short tasting menu, which is six courses. That's 165. Jesus. What's a Petit Four? Petit Four, uh, it's like the snacks, but after your meal. I come from Nando's, <laughs> chicken chips. <laughs> Petit Four, okay. So you start with the snacks. Is that course? Or? Not counted as a course. It's like a little welcome. Welcome to the nice. restaurant. Okay. It's supposed to give you an indication of what the rest of your night, what the rest mm. of the experience is, is going to be like. So the snacks will be tailored to the chef's personality, essentially, or what's seasonal. So it's got to be, 
yeah, it's got to be a, a cohesive menu, I would say. It's got to all make sense together. Yeah, so it all kind of flows together from meal to meal, or can you have one steak and the other one's something completely different and the other one's fish and the other one's... Whatever. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, realistically, you're not really going to get the same protein twice, I would say, on a tasting menu. Um, that's the whole point of a tasting menu. You want, you want to taste as much as possible. Yeah. Taste all that they've got. Um, okay, yeah. so I was going to ask, one of my questions was, a chef gets a Michelin star for their their menu, whatever it is, they've reached a certain quality, it's got the highest award you can get. Then, does it become quite difficult to change things up? Do you fall back into the routine of, okay, this is one of Michelin stars, so let's stick with it? Or, in order to be a respectable chef, they have to change it up? Or Definitely, definitely that. To be... I mean, if you get a Michelin star, you're already very respected in the industry. But to remain relevant, you need to change with the times. Especially as a chef, you know, I work with chefs that started cooking when they were 15 and they're still cooking at 50. You know, you can cook amazing food for 35 years, but, mm-hmm. you know, technology changes, people change, palates change. So you, you need to keep adapting and changing, changing techniques, finding out what's new. Keep pushing yourself, pushing your menu, and then that's when I'd say more more awards come. I think to get from one to two stars, you need to keep innovating essentially. Um, you need to keep changing what you're doing, but of course keep the consistency of yeah, yeah, just like of a high standard essentially. You you mentioned I was a chef who started at fifteen. I know you studied engineering. At university, right? Yeah, I was a, a late bloomer yeah. <laughs> into this industry. So, so you studied engineering in Canada, right? Yes, well, I studied my main degree was in at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow. Uh, oh, right, spent, and then a master's. Yeah, but I spent a year during my undergrad oh, cool. uh, studying at Queen's University in Canada, and then I did my master's also at Strathclyde, uh, but for four months before that started, I was able to do a research opportunity in Copenhagen at the Danish Technical University. So how do you get into the kitchen? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's always something I, I adored. Like my mum my taught me yeah. to cook. She was a great she has a great chef. And that's where my love of cooking kinda started being in the kitchen with mm-hmm. her. Um but yeah I, I've worked in hospitality since the age of fifteen. You know, my my mum and my dad were always very much, you know, if you want to go on a trip, go out, earn some money, do it yourself. Like so they, they installed a good work ethic in me. Uh, so I was working in a, a local cafe, tiny little cafe attached to a church yeah. in a little town called Uddingston, where I'm from, just outside of Glasgow. So I was a barista there. Uh, kind of helped in the kitchen a little bit for like one shift, but it was making like toasties. Uh, I was a KP, so I was a pot washer. I moved into the centre of Glasgow to start university, and I got a job at a boutique hotel uh, called Dakota. It was a lovely little hotel. And I was a bartender there, a waiter there. And I, it was always just a, a job, just mm-hmm. for money to keep me going through my studies. But I was always just very impressed by the chefs. I, look up, I looked up to them quite a lot. So it was coming towards the end, or about midway through my master's degree, I finally asked the head chef, look, I'd love to cook. I want to learn how to do it professionally. I love that. Would you consider just having me in for a few shifts, just like one week? Don't need to pay me. I just want to see what it's like in a kitchen. Uh, just give me an opportunity, I'll come in, I'll help you, I'll do whatever you want, 
essentially an, an apprentice or a corny chef at the time. He was like, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Did that for a week. I was like, oh, okay. I caught the bug. Yeah. Essentially, I was like, fuck, actually, I really love this. Um, so yeah, I decided to take it a bit further. Uh, ended up stopping, I ended up stopping being a waiter there and went into the kitchen for a few months. After a few months, I was still doing my master's degree. I thought about dropping out, but I didn't want to. Um, so I thought, okay. May as well finish it. Let's finish it, but let's take a couple of years to yourself. You've worked very hard for the last five years to get your degrees. Yeah. What, what do you want to do over the next two years? And for me, it was cooking and traveling. And thankfully, those two go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, so I applied to a Michelin star restaurant in Glasgow called Unalum by Graham Cheevers. And Graham got back to me. Uh, within a week, he offered me an opportunity there as a comedy chef. So I was there for about five or six months. Uh, that was my first taste of working in a fine dining establishment. Uh, I was going to say, what was this first cooking experience? What was that kitchen like in order for you to then apply for this Michelin-style restaurant? Because that seems like a well, yeah, it was it was a very a big jump. opportunity and a big jump. It was a big jump very early on in, in my career as a chef. Um, I don't know, I think just whatever you do in life, you need to strive for the best. And especially in cooking, you get you get good food at every price point. But to be a really, really good chef, I think you need to go into the fine dining. Because mm. they teach you how to be proficient under extreme amounts of pressure. And there's so much responsibility, you have no option but to learn and to succeed. Or, or you fail and you're out the door. And the best way for you to really learn is under that heat. Definitely. That pressure. And with the Michelin star restaurants as well, the menu changes so much. That's how you learn different techniques, different platings, just everything like so that. So you've consciously tried to put yourself under that stress? A lot of stress, yeah. I think if you put yourself under that stress, I don't know, it just, in a weird way it really benefits I, I you. I commend you a lot for that. I it's, think that's, that's why you're where you're at now. Yeah. You've taken that jump. It's incredible. Um... And I half want to talk about the stereotype of kitchens. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, did, did you need to go to culinary school? I thought that was a requirement to no. get into. So it depends on what country you're from. Uh, I've, I'll be honest, I've worked very hard to get where I am. But there's definitely been an aspect of luck involved. Um, I never went to culinary school. I never wanted to go to culinary school. It's more expensive than university for a shorter degree. Really? And, yeah, I've, I've worked with people who have went to culinary school and I'm leaps and bounds ahead of them because I have kitchen experience. You know, you can teach someone how to cook a chicken really well in yeah. school, but you can't teach them how to work 19 hours a day under extreme pressure. Mm. And I think that's arguably or equally as important as the technical aspect as well, is actually being able to handle yourself in that environment. Um, but, for example, if you're from America... To work in a high-end kitchen, you need to go to culinary school. Um, but fortunately, in the UK, you don't need that. Um, but you do need to show some form of experience, or if you go in at ground level, you need to show that you know it's it's your call. I will live. Here. You know, I will live here. I will work so hard for you, and you need to prove yeah. that. Um, but yeah, it's just a different culture. Not many people in the UK go to culinary school. If you do, it's it's going to be a very very high-end culinary school, like. Cordon Bleu in London, which mm -hmm. costs an obscene amount of money to go to. How much are we talking about? Like 20 oh, grand a year? I, I don't know exactly, but I think between 20 and 30 k I think. 
Wow. I believe. Don't quote me on it, but a lot of money. More than a university degree would cost you per year. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, I was thinking for someone trying to get into to that space, what would they have to do? But, you know, from my experience trying to get into, well, now in the finance world, I did not intend on going into finance but I had an opportunity to and I just I ran with it yeah I got in on a maternity cover and I basically lived there <laughs> and got that extended to another maternity cover and then got a, a permanent so I fully understand um, once you get that little the door yeah. opens yeah, a tiny bit you've got to just fucking go for it exactly yeah. that's, that's exactly what I've done in yeah. checking as well um, I work in London now as we were speaking about something I never saw myself doing, ever. Mm. Growing up, London was never really a place I wanted to move to. I had a good time here. It's been very expensive. Um, yeah. But I got a week off from the restaurant I worked in in Glasgow last November. And instead of going on holiday or relaxing, I chose to come down to London to do a stage. A stage is essentially, essentially work experience. Yeah. Uh, just the name for it in the culinary world. Uh, but I came down to London for a week with my head chef, Graham. New, my new head chef, Isaac McHale, both mm-hmm. Scottish chefs, amazing chefs. I uh, came down here for a week and I fell in love with the team. Uh, the food is amazing, it's the nicest restaurant I've ever stepped foot into. I felt so fortunate to be given that opportunity. And they were kind of like yourself mm-hmm. uh, when you were starting out, they were short on staff at the time. Um, so I spoke to the head chef at the end of it. I was like, look, I've had the best week of my career so far. I can really see myself working here. Do you have any opportunities? He said yes, absolutely. I like the forwardness. I'm seeing a, a theme here. Yeah, well, yeah, I think you need to be, to be honest, to, yeah. to get anywhere. It's one of those. It's one of those things where these opportunities come from very difficult situations. For me, COVID and the company being very short-staffed and a lot of pressure on the specific portfolio I was working on created the opportunity for me to come in. Mm-hmm. and basically get baptised by fire, yeah. like really work <laughs> under the heat. Um, but now in hindsight, it got me into finance. It taught me much faster than, I think, getting into like a grad scheme, kind of tiptoeing into different teams and getting more exposure. Um, so I wouldn't change it for the world. But I think you've recognised as well, through that difficulty of whatever the situation is, being short-staffed, the pressure that's your opportunity to actually get in. Yeah. If, if you it. see an opening, you need to take for the advantage Absolutely. And Absolutely. show them that you recognise that as well. Yeah. I think it shows initiative as well. Yeah, yeah. So when you first started working in this restaurant in Glasgow, that jump, did you recognise how much of a difference the standard was yes. from your first? Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah, just in terms of stress levels as well. You go from doing 150 to 200 covers a day in a hotel. And don't get me wrong, the food was great there. I'd still love to go back. But then you're doing the complete opposite. You're doing 30 to 50 covers a day. But instead of doing a three-course menu, you're doing eight to ten, co- eight to ten courses. Mm. Um, but a covers a meal? Uh, sorry, covers are guests. Like the number oh, of guests. Yes. Sorry, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so yeah, so it seems on paper you're doing much less people, but mm. the amount of prep work you're putting into that 
is so much more, um, and also with a smaller team as well. Yeah, I've seen that now. Uh, your service, whatever time it starts, I know you're waking up at 7am, 7.30, and you're out yeah. the door before it's 8. Yeah, that's the thing. But you <laughs> live around the corner, so I you're know. probably in for 8.20, eight fifteen. Uh, it depends. On a Tuesday and Wednesday, we're only open for dinner service down here. So dinner service starts at 6.30pm, but we're still there at 9am. And then Thursday to Saturday, uh, we're open for lunch and dinner. So we start at 8 a.m. We'll finish any time between midnight and 1 o'clock in the morning. So most of the work is done in prepping. Yeah. And then... There's just so much prep to do. Mm. Like, you get in and you can feel complacent. You're like, oh, it's fine. I've got eight hours to do all of this prep. But you can never be complacent because there's so much to, to do. You know, I think the, the phrase is, you need to keep pushing. Which is yeah. funny to hear that because it's what every chef in management says uh, you just need to keep pushing yourself to get it done it's not only do you need to get it done it needs to be perfect and everything you make needs to go through the head chef or one of the sous chefs to make sure that they can serve it to guests yeah um, the restaurant I'm at just now on Tuesday actually it was the top 50 restaurant awards the world top 50 mm-hmm. and we got number 38 so even I've noticed a difference this week just after like we, I think we were 36 last year so we're still doing well but even this week, just like getting that accolade again, yeah, you definitely feel that, that like everything needs to be perfect now. Remember why you're here. Remember why we get this accolade. Mm. Don't get, don't ever get complacent. Wow. You mentioned you did a stint in Copenhagen. Yes. And that that kitchen, you were saying it, it was almost like a a lab. A lab, yeah. So uh, an interesting story to be fair. So I worked at a restaurant called Geranium in Copenhagen. Nice. Which last year it was number one in the world. Uh, if you get number one, then you can't be number one again. So they've changed the rules, so you kind of go into like the best of the best category. What happens? You you retire? That. Oh no, no, you go into the best of the best. Oh, you could right. retire. Yeah, you, you've reached the pinnacle. So you can't get it number one again. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think it was after a restaurant, very famous restaurant called Noma, won number one like three or four years in a row. So everyone was like, right, okay, let's give other people a chance. Um, Look, it was a great opportunity. I was very excited for it. Um, it just it wasn't the environment for me, I would say. Um, I currently work in a very work with a very small team. We use very traditional cooking methods. Of course, there's technology present in the kitchen, but geranium just felt like a laboratory, like a sterile lab. Didn't feel like a kitchen. And it was also about 30 to 40 chefs working round the clock for this place, half of which were unpaid stagiaires, like myself. I didn't get paid for that month. Um, I just didn't, I didn't like the environment. And I feel like when you do move to a restaurant, you know within a day whether it's the place for you, like I did with the Clove Club, which is why, yeah. which is why we're here now. Um, but no, I, I stuck it out. It was interesting to see. It was a great experience to have, mm. but definitely not the kind of restaurant I'd like to work in or own when I'm older. If I can tell why, you. why was it unpaid? It's, yeah, it's just what they do, <laughs> to be honest. Is it like a reputation thing? If if you've got this on your resume, yeah. it's... Yeah, you do it for your CV. Okay. Um, but they actually, they made an exception for me. So normally the minimum time you can do is three months. But Copenhagen is one of the most expensive cities in the world. You know, I could barely afford to do four weeks there without a salary. And uh, never mind three months, you know. I've met people who are working there for six months without a salary. You know, they clearly saved up money, or they, yeah, they came from, wow. from you know, they came from money, um, but they worked there for six months in the hope of getting a job, and they still didn't get a job. 
you know. But, uh, talk about sacrifice. Talk about sacrifice, yeah, but I, I just don't believe that's the right way forward, no, to you, be honest. You it's, mentioned you were living in a hostel at the time. I was brutal, yeah. yeah. I lived in three hostels <laughs> over the space of four weeks. Um, I've heard some of these stories. Yeah, yeah, you have. I don't know how much I can say then. <laughs> on the record. Um, but you're doing full-on shifts. Full-on shifts, yes, you're doing like 18 so, hours a day. Going back really? to a room which you're sharing with five strangers. People are coming in at all hours in the morning, drunk, making noise, turning the lights on. In one case, someone brought a hooker in. <laughs> I tried to have sex in the bathroom and I'm like, I'm working in two hours. Can you please Jesus fuck off? Um, I thought you were gonna say twelve to fourteen hour shifts, not eighteen. Yeah, to be 18. fair, it was it was less in geranium because I was a stash. So I, I did about I did about fifteen to sixteen hours a day there. That's um, intense. Yeah, yeah, it's just the lifestyle. But you're on three, four days a week. Currently, I do three and a half. Three and a half, uh, which is good. I did okay. five in Glasgow, mm. which was just too much. Um, yeah, I think a lot of chefs, especially the older chefs, the chefs in management nowadays, like to tell us that we have it easy, you know, because they yeah. used to do five, sometimes even six days a week, which I commend it, but you have no life. There's no work-life balance there. Um, I think you can love what you do, which is why I do what I do, but if you spend every waking moment yeah. doing it, I think it takes some of the joy out of what you do. So part, part of the reason I decided to come to the Clove Club was for the work-life balance. I've definitely okay. noticed the difference. Um, it's interesting though because, I mean, that's that's part of. I mean, you said you go you're going to Wimbledon next week, right? Mm-hmm. And you go and you watch this this tennis player who's just committed his entire life to this one yeah. thing, and then when you go to a restaurant, Michelin star restaurant, you're experiencing people who give their lives all their lives to yeah. this thing to cooking to that kitchen yeah so what you're eating is just a different level of professionalism mastery i don't know how to even say it professionalism but just, and also personality as well it's yeah it's everything they have and have learned and love and the world they're given to you mm. food is a love language for many people especially chefs so it's a real pleasure to taste someone's life work you know i think that's why People can say fine dining is really expensive, and it is. Don't get me wrong; it's extortionate. I can't afford to eat at a lot of these places, but you do forget that this is someone's life work, as well. So you were saying. Now chefs say you have it easy. Back in the day, you mentioned, sometimes it would get a bit physical. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I've heard stories. Thankfully, I've never been battered in a fridge. Um, but I have heard stories of the FBM management punching chef to parties in the, in the fridge, burning people. I've been burnt a couple of times, and that's just a bit of a laugh. Accidental? Or? No, no, like, hurry the fuck up. Here's a, here's a hot pan from the oven to the back of the arm. <laughs> oh, shit, okay. <laughs> fuck. Um, but no, no, nothing too bad. I think nowadays it's the mental and the verbal pressure. It's a lot mm. worse. Um, the world is changing, the industry is changing, slowly but surely. Um, yeah, physically, it was never acceptable for someone to lay a finger on you, but I think it was kind of accepted in some kitchens, um, unfortunately. But nowadays, definitely not. If, if management lays a finger on you, I, I would like to believe that they're out the door. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and then substance, substance abuse. Mm-hmm. 
How common was that in the kitchen, say, back in the 80s, 90s? Oh, they were fueled by fueled by. That's why they could do it six days a week. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, again, I can't speak from experience. You know, I didn't work in kitchens during that period. 18-hour shifts, six days a week. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it would make sense. That's why the industry had had such a problem and still does to a certain extent, although I believe that it's better. Um, but yeah, it's still an issue just now. The restaurants I've worked in, I've never really seen anyone do it on shift, which is good. Um, I think... Never I'll, seen them, but you've yeah, experienced yeah. some people. Yeah, that's fair to say. I definitely can't go into names or anything like that. On, on no, definitely not, um, but... But yeah, no, people do it. I, I don't like to do, to do it. It's not mm. for me. Um, I think if you need drugs to get through your day, I think you need to find a different profession, to be honest. Um, but yeah, that's the industry. It's a very, very tough industry, mentally and physically, to get through. So people do what they have to, to, to get through it. Yeah. There's a really good film called, I think it's called Boiling Point. Yeah. That's actually scarily good for, for a chef really? film. There's a lot of really cheesy, bad chef movies yeah. out there. But Boiling Point... Watching it, I think that came out last year, I think. So I, I'd already started nice. working in, in high-end kitchens at this point. And I was just watching, I was just on edge the entire time. Because mm. everything that could go wrong in a dinner service went wrong. And you feel it, when you know what he's going through, like you feel it differently. But that's a really good film. I've watched that, I think, four times now. I think that's a great film to watch. Yeah. Very tragic as well. Um, but sadly, that's the way a lot of chefs have went. I want to know... I want to know like a certain experience of yours, something that just sticks out working in this industry. Crazy service or an experience with diners or... It's a tough question. I think you get into the routine of doing it, like every day, like day in, day out, so you kind of forget to notice what's going on, going on around. Oh, I'd say I'd say a really funny one to be to be fair, and nothing too deep was uh, I walked into the fridge one time. I walked in Glasgow. I hope he doesn't hear this. <laughs> walked into the walk-in fridge one time. And, no uh, names. No names. No names. But a Michelin star chef that I worked for uh, locked himself in the fridge one night during service. Like, what the fuck is he up to? And, uh, I just walked walked in, managed to get the door open. He's just in there vaping. <laughs> so that that stack sticks out as just like a laugh. Um, in terms of bad experiences, I haven't had too many, to, to be honest. I think I've been quite lucky. Um, as a high-pressure environment, you do get shouted at a lot if you tend to fuck up. Um, probably one of the worst, it's not even that bad to be fair in the grand scheme of things, but one of the worst was the other day, uh, just getting set up late for service, just getting screamed at. Tables are at the tables right beside the pass. You get, you get, I think I got called uh, a stupid cunt or something like that. Like, hurry the fuck up, a stupid cunt. Really loudly. And then you've got like, the dining room staring at you. Like, Who's this chef that's a stupid cunt? Yeah. <laughs> Apologise for my language. <laughs> so for me, it's, it's really important to just fail, but do it quickly and get over it quickly. Don't be afraid to make the mistakes, but just fucking recover from it fast. Yeah, as long as, you learn, as long as you're... Yeah, as long as you still learn and succeed and get set up for the day. Um, you can make mistakes. Like You will make mistakes. Everyone learns from mistakes. Yeah. They just can't be often. 
um, otherwise you'll be out the door. You know, you need to make sure, or maybe they can be often when you start, but you need to learn from them. If you make the same mistake a few times in a week, it just shows that you're not learning, you know, um, so it reflects badly upon yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've worked for a few people who they really get on your case when you make a mistake, rightfully so, but they haven't created an environment where I want to now keep trying, keep failing and keep learning from that. Mm-hmm. You almost become afraid to do anything because if you don't do anything, they'll complain about your inactivity and if you do something that's wrong, they'll absolutely butcher you. So then it's, it's difficult. Yeah. But if you're in an environment, I understand the qualities at the highest level. Um, but it needs, I think it should be important for people when they do fuck up, you correct them, they know how to do it properly the next time, mm-hmm. but they're not afraid to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, to be honest, that's... I think just about a big part of this industry is how management is feeling on the day. And what is what is management? Is that management the actual sh- head chef? Yes, yeah, so any anywhere from like a sous sous chef, head chef, and executive chef, I would say, is management. So there's more to them than being a great chef. They need to also be able to be a leader and mm-hmm. get the entire kitchen working. Yeah. They're not working like everyone. Everyone like, is there because they want to be there at the end of the day. Um, but they they need they have a responsibility to make sure that everyone is doing their job correctly uh, to a high standard. Uh, but also, yeah, the day the the paperwork, the in day out, the orders, that's all all falls under their umbrella of management as well. So, this little stint in London is coming to an end soon. Yes. And you're looking to go all the way over to Australia. Yeah, I've got my visa. They don't have Michelin stars there, right? No, so they have they have their equivalent. The Michelin is the most revered, I think it's because it's the most well known. You know, that's where it all started. Um, but surprisingly, Michelin isn't in a lot of countries around the world. It's mostly in Europe, some parts of North America. For example, they're in South America, but they're only in Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. You know, it's a huge continent in this. Um, I don't know why, but yes, Australia isn't in the Michelin Guide yet, but they have their equivalent called the Australian Good Food Guide. Mm. So they award one, two or three or zero hats instead of stars. So it's still reviewed, I would say, probably say as much, especially if you're in Australia. No, it's just not as well known. Well, yeah, you're, you're doing exactly what you want to, what you set out to do, right? Go travelling. Exactly. Cooking kitchens. Exactly. I've given myself two years to travel and cook. I'm now... Exactly, I'm almost exactly a year into that. So I think in a year's time, I'll know whether I'm going to continue doing it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was basically leading on to my final kind of point, my final question. Where do you see yourself going with this? Is the plan to open your own kitchen someday? I honestly don't know. That's the honest, the honest answer yeah. is I don't know yet. I'm in love with what I do just now. I'm very proud of what I've accomplished. I feel very fortunate to be able to do what I do as well and to have the travel opportunities to meet so many like-minded people from every corner of the globe and bond over a shared love of food. Uh, but at the end of the day, 
I'm 24 years old. Mm-hmm. I can work 19 hours a day. I can physically cope with that. In 20, 30 years' time, your body can't really cope from that. You know, and that's a long thing, a long time to be under such intense periods of stress as well. And I think with owning a restaurant, it's so difficult to do to start with. And every owner of a restaurant I've met, I look up to them. I think they're amazing. They've done so well for themselves. Yeah. But they just seem so stressed, you know. And I think work and life balance is very, very important. Um, but we'll see. I love the idea of being retired and having a little restaurant, a wee cafe, a wee yeah. bakery. Something like that would be lovely. But at this stage in my career, I can honestly say I don't know if I'm going to devote my entire life to it. And I think I, I love I love okay. the fact that you said, I'm, I now work at this restaurant for a better work-life balance. And you've just done a 19-hour shift. Yeah. <laughs> that is, I think that's yeah. something. Well, welcome to the kitchen industry. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now listen, man, I, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I've learned a lot. Thank you so much for having me on. I've never done a podcast before, so yeah, I look forward to sharing this with my family and looking back on this in a few years and see see where we both are. <laughs> Literally, I think that was the purpose of this. So in a few years' time, we can hopefully do this again, run it back and, and see how much things have changed and yeah. developed, hopefully. But yeah, man, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it, Greg. Anytime, um, Thank you. Cheers, bro. I think this is episode 13, I want to say. Done. Lucky 13. Ha, <laughs> ha,